Very special guest on today's podcast. He did six seasons of Celebrity Apprentice, working directly with the 45th President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Has 25 years of live TV experience in talent logistics. He's now a comedian out of New York City and the co-host of the Stuttering John podcast, Noel Kassler. Noel, what's up, man? Hey, Jimmy. How you doing, man? Happy to be here. Oh, uh, you know, I'm I'm part of uh, Mike Pence country, so it's it's an honor to uh, talk to you about 45. Well, my condolences, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> we we you got the best you got the best cheerleader Trump ever could have hired. I just finished watching the press conference and Trump when he was sitting down to sign his bill, quote unquote. A reporter asked him a question. He shushed her and said, you people or whatever. said something really rude to her. The first guy to start clapping as he began to stand up was Mike Pence. So you guys must be really proud. He, he, Eddie Haskell, rest his, his soul, couldn't do a better job of sucking up than Mike Pence does. So the first thing I want to know, uh, Noel, how did you get involved with uh, Celebrity Apprentice and what were your duties day to day with that show? Well, I worked in live television. As I said, I started in 1993 on a show called the Kennedy Center Honors, and uh, it's a variety show. Um, and so I did the Grammys, you know, the Super Bowl halftime show, the Tony Awards for 20 years. Live television is a very specific thing because you have celebrity performers, but you have live television. And it, live television is pretty complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. So moving talent around, talent wrangling and talent logistics, which is sort of the, the moniker of, of what I did. That's the department I work in. It's called the talent department. It's a very specific skill, and it's a very small world of people who do that. So the same people that are doing the VMAs are doing celebrity chef finale cook-off. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's, it's a small world. So... One week you're doing something really cool, and one week you're doing The Apprentice, you know? And I did it because my friend got the job as talent coordinator, and she needed to put together, quote-unquote, like an A-team. You know, I was kind of like the top talent wrangler for difficult talent. So uh, she needed to put together, you know, a good crew. It was an easy gig. It was like a Sunday night was the first finale. Or I don't, maybe it wasn't a Sunday night. But they sh we shot it at Rockefeller Center. So she was like, hey, can you come help me out? You know, we're going to have a big after party on the rink at Rockefeller Center, and, you know, it'll be an easy day and a decent paycheck, and I need, you know, I need decent people. So I did it as a lark. I watched the show. I grew up in New York City. Trump was a joke to us. If you grew up in New York City, everybody knew he was a con man. He didn't have any real business skills. He was broke and bankrupting, you know, everything he ever touched. So he was a joke. So the fact that NBC had turned him into this, like, pretend billionaire and was selling it to the country was a point of hilarity. You know, so it was a guilty pleasure to watch the Celebrity Apprentice version. I wanted to see if Amorosa was really like that in person. You know, that was honestly the main reason I took the gig, and she was. I like her now, but, you know, they made her as the villain on that show. So I just did it as a lark, and then... I had already worked with Trump in the, in the 90s, you know, on, on um, beauty pageants and stuff. So I knew he was bad news, but, you know, I figured how bad could it be, and, and boy, was I in for a ride. So he hasn't changed that much since the first time you met him? He's never changed. No, who you see now is who he's been since he was about nine years old, you know. I met him, he was in his 50s or whatever, he would have been in the 90s. But no, he's the same person, you know. He cares about himself. He's a con man, you know. He, he wants music to play when he walks in the room he wants to get high and he wants to grab women trump cares about what can immediately satisfy his narcissistic needs 
You know, he's not looking at the long picture. He's not even that interested in money. You know, the people around him are interested in money. He's lost more money than most people would make in their lifetime. You know what I mean? Most people who would have inherited 400-something million dollars would go sit on an island somewhere and enjoy their lives. Trump needs attention. The money is not important to him as ratings and, like, people thinking he's a big deal. You know, an example, back in The Apprentice days, he would walk into the after parties surrounded with, like, secret, not Secret Service, but, like, his own security guys, like, pretending like they were Secret Service. Yeah. You know what I mean? He would walk into the room, like, pretending like he was president even back then. And everybody would laugh because it was just an inside joke. Like, the guy can't read. You know what I mean? Let alone be president. And he was the last guy we ever thought would get elected. His own kids would make fun of him because he's dyslexic, so he can't read cue cards. You know, so that's why you see him, like, messing up words all the time. And that's where his drug addiction comes from. He uses Adderall to make himself feel in control. So we'd have a word like arbitrage on a cue card, and he couldn't read it. So we'd freak out and storm offset and crush up Adderall, come back, it'd be flying out of his nose. He'd stumble through trying to read this stuff. You'd do like 10 takes before you got a usable take. I mean, it was insanity. What people saw on TV is nothing like what the real man is. You're seeing it now, though, because they can't hide it in the White House. They can't do retakes when he comes out and tells you to drink bleach to cure the coronavirus. <laughs> you know, you're seeing like what a dumbass he is in real time now. You know, and and that's why the country's closed down and every major city's on fire. You know, um, so what what were some of the biggest fits that he threw on set that you remember? I saw him soil himself over reading the word arbitrage. He wears Depends. He's incontinent from all the drug use, and he he only eats, like, fast food. He eats McDonald's and then meatloaf at night. So he's got horrible, if you know anything about stimulants, they're they're a diuretic. They they loosen your bowels, for lack of a better word. So he lost control a long time ago over, you know, his bowels. So he would, the crew nickname was the shit show, because he would shit himself, and we would have to stop taping and they bring him off set and clean him up so that was it i saw him the first time fly into a rage trying to produce the word arbitrage or pronounce the word arbitrage which for a pretend billionaire supposedly in new york city you think you would know the word that you know pertains to buying and selling companies and stuff you know like but he couldn't he couldn't read the word and he accused like the script department of setting him up and there isn't necessarily even a script department. Live television is fake. Like everything you see on live TV, somebody's telling them what to say on a cue card. Yeah. But uh, so he flew into a rage because he's very paranoid, too. That's another byproduct of, of the drug abuse. So he threw in, flew into a rage, soiled himself, and walked off set. So that would, that would probably be the first major meltdown I saw. What did the cast and crew of The Celebrity Apprentice think of their experience with dealing with Trump? Because you're not only dealing with Trump, you're dealing with Joan Rivers and several other celebrities. What was their reaction to him? Well, Joan was great. I, I loved Joan, and she was there towards the end, and I got some you know, great pictures and talking with her. Joan is like the sweetest person in the world. Joan Rivers was one of the nicest human beings you will ever meet. Um, she's no longer with us, sadly. And yes. I can't speak for her experience. Um 
a lot of people knew it was crazy and a joke, like Tom Green, people like that. He got he got kicked off for going out drinking with Dennis Rodman one night. You know, you uh, the women hated it. You know, the attractive blonde women would get sexually harassed by him. You know, Summer Zervos has a lawsuit because he molested her. Um, so the women didn't like it. There were people who took it seriously. You know, like and. And they can speak for themselves. I can't speak for them. I've been on podcasts with other people that were celebrity guests on there, and they're like, I didn't see him. He doesn't even drink, blah, blah, blah. You know, right. there's people who took it seriously. And, you know, and I will say our job was to hide most of his more aberrant behavior from the celebrities. You know, I worked on the, the finales, right? So it's a live TV moment. You know, there's a lot of people around. There's a lot of hands on deck. Like, that's his that's prime time. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like they wanted Arsenio Hall to know he'd just like soil himself before, you know, the boardroom meeting kind of thing, you know? So I would, to answer that question, you know, the, the, a, a, a good job was done to sequester, you know, the celebrity contestants, the ones that did well would end up spending more time with him. Like Penn Gillette, who I've worked with on other shows, his, he, he has my favorite quote about Donald Trump. He says, Donald Trump is the worst human being I've ever met, and I've been to prisons. <laughs> yeah. So there's some people who saw through the veil and saw that this guy's a moron, you know, and, and, and has a severe personality disorder. Did you come across anybody in the production of Celebrity Apprentice that's been charged or criminally associated with Trump? I, I'm talking about, like, Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, Michael Cohen, those guys. Yeah, well, Felix Sater was there. Felix Sater was an employee of the Trump Organization when I started working on the show. Do you know who Felix Sater is? His expertise was money laundering, right? I just watched a right, show he's on... He's the Russian mob guy. He's the guy who brought Ivanka Trump to sit in Putin's chair, for example, you know? Um, so, in Russia, you know, so he's a, he's a, he was a go-between. Exactly. He was a Russian money... You know, that's what... He was a facilitator of Trump's money laundering enterprise for the Russians. So he would be there, and, you know, in, like, 2010, we, we shot it downtown. We had a few different homes. But um, we shot it at, at NYU at a place called the Skirball Center. So we had the after party at Trump Soho. It's now out of business, but for a while he had a building called Trump Soho. It wasn't even actually in Soho, which is a good example of Trump's lifelong scamming of New Yorkers. Like Just like he says, Trump Tower is 63 floors, and it's actually, like, 50 three floors, you know, but, um, so he had a building called Trump Soho, which was actually sort of like NoHo, you know what I mean? It wasn't, or it wasn't, it was south of Houston Street, but it wasn't the part of New York City that we call Soho, you know, but he he calls it Trump Soho. Point being, we had an after party there because it was all like a cyclical thing. Like Trump was taking all the NBC money into his own coffers, you know? So we had an after party there. Most of the guests for the live taping were like Russian mob types with their wives and furs and stuff, even though it was in May. And the after party was basically Felix Sater making introductions to Ivanka and Jared to all these moneyed Russians that were in the room, you know? So that was the beginning of the public, I would say political side of Trump's operation. With Trump's connection to Felix Sater and all of these guys closely associated with Putin, what does that tell you about his relationship with Putin? And do you think he has anything over Trump that would make oh, him yeah. a Russian agent? A hundred percent. That's that's what's going down, you know, and we can take that question in reverse order. Trump got off the phone with Putin on Monday, right? 
He mm-hmm. called Putin. We heard about the phone call from Moscow. We didn't hear about it, a readout from our own White House. We heard about it from Russians before we heard about it from our own government, right? Mm-hmm. Trump takes this phone call after a weekend of unrest all across our, our country, right? And then what happens? You know, Trump has a like a an authoritarian speech is the only way to describe it. He comes out and starts ranting about law and order, right? Yeah. He tear gasses a bunch of peaceful protesters across the street from the White House, and he poses with a Bible. That's all Putin playbook stuff right there. Putin is popular in Russia amongst conservative sort of Christian types, you know, the people who think like white Russian supremacy is a thing, you know? So so I Putin told him what to do. And if you look at all these things, pulling out of the Open Skies Treaty, disavowing NATO, you know, pulling out of Syria and leaving American bases in 24 hours, letting Russian troops walk in the next day, mm-hmm. where our troops, cots were still there, while Russians got to take over air bases that we paid for with American tax dollars and with American military, you know, muscle and sweat and blood. You mm-hmm. know, there's no other way to explain this stuff. Than, than Trump doing everything Putin says. Now we'll get on to the compromise. Trump was very well known as like a sexual deviant in New York. I know women, call girls that had frequent, he had frequented and stuff. He was known as a very brutal customer and he liked young girls. You know, there's the case of the 13-year-old girl that he was named in a lawsuit, you know, for having raped, brutally raped in Jeffrey Epstein's mansion. I believe that 100% to be true. That was a court case. He was going to be deposed as the president in that case. Mm. Right before he got elected, she hired Lisa Bloom. She got a bunch of death threats. The girl, they call her Katie Rogers. The case disappeared, okay? But if you know Trump, none of that stuff is shocking or a secret. He's been into his daughter since she was an oddly young age. He would make her give lap dances to him when she was 16 on the, on the, on the set when she would host Miss Universe, Miss Teen USA, rather. So he's a sick dude. My theory on that, and this is part is just a theory, but there was a lot of Russian brothels in Trump Tower. And I think Trump got a frequent flyer pass. Like, you can go in there whenever you want. So he would go in there, he would knock these girls around, he would get his rocks off, thinking that he was fine. You know, he's working for the Russians, so they're not going to screw him. I think Putin was taping that stuff the whole time, you know, and which is what Trump would always do. He has compromise on all these other dudes. You know, Lindsey Graham switched his support for Trump after he got off of, you know, after, after you know, a, 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 an email, essentially, you know, and, and a phone call with Russia. So... Trump thinks he was the wise guy to sort of, you know, tape everybody doing indecent things. He got taped by Putin. And if you want to think about that conference in Helsinki, right, that news conference, Mm -hmm. they had a private meeting. Nobody else was allowed into the meeting. At the end of the meeting, Trump literally grabbed the minutes from the translator, from the American translator. He grabbed the minutes when they were done speaking. He walked into the room looking like Reek from Game of Thrones. Do you know what I mean? He was cowed. He was bent over. He doesn't walk that way. He stands up straight. He walks weird because he wears lifts and a girdle, you know, but he stands up straight. He was cowed in that moment. And he went and stood in front of the world and said, I believe Putin over our American intelligence agencies. He said he didn't interfere in our election. So what I posit is that in that meeting, Putin pulled out an iPad or something and said, hey, remember Maria? Remember Svetlana? Remember this one? Just showed him years of what Trump had done. And I've heard this from other 
investigative reporters about the compromise, and I've heard it from somebody who said she heard it from some intelligence sources, you know, that it's not a P-tape that, that Putin has. It's bloody, you know, it's bloody stuff that Trump has did, has done, and Putin holds it over him. And if, I know that sounds crazy. I'm not saying it doesn't sound crazy, but mm-hmm. if you know Trump, it connects dots. And if you look at that press conference, it makes perfect sense because Trump was demoralized. Whatever Putin said to him in that room, it had a really big effect on Trump because you can look at the tape, you know, and people make memes out of, you know, Putin having a leash around Trump. Yeah. But that was a man cow. That wasn't an American president on the world stage. That was a guy who was deeply humbled, shamed and worried about his own self-interest. Two-part question here. I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I, I always wonder why Republicans don't stand up to Trump. Does he have? You mentioned this with Lindsey Graham. Does he have stories that are damaging to them? And the second part of the question is, what does Trump fear the most about coming out about who he really is? He fears. I'll take the second part first. Trump fears embarrassment. Okay. He doesn't fear criminality. He's gotten away with crime all his life. He projects what he's going to do next, and he doesn't care about that. Trump is a narcissist, first and foremost. As I said earlier, he cares about how he feels in the moment in a crowded room. He wants to be admired, right? Uh-huh. So he fears embarrassment more than he fears anything. He doesn't really care about, like, he want, he doesn't want to go to jail, don't get me wrong, but he doesn't care about being president. He cares about people respecting him and getting attention. Case in point, when he got booed at that Washington Senate Nationals game or whatever Incredible. last summer, remember he got booed? Mm-hmm. He cried. You can see him tear up. That was like mortal damage to him. Mm-hmm. You know, most people would be like, all right, they hate me. I'm a politician. That's part of the job. He was wounded by that, you know, in a, in a way. So that's what he fears. The second, the first part of the question, of course, he has compromise on all these guys. They've all taken Russian money from Devin Nunes to Mitch McConnell, who does business with Oleg Deripaska through all these coal mines in Kentucky. You know, uh, McConnell allowed Russians to come in and own coal mines in Kentucky. You know, yeah. so that's Deripaska's money. You know, Lindsey Graham, as we said, got one phone call. You know, Putin. I forget the exact order of events, but. Lindsey was, you know, vehemently opposed to Trump. He went golfing with Trump once, and all of a sudden he's his biggest bootlicker, you know? And I know friends that work in the sex industry, and male, you know, sex workers. He's apparently the biggest, you know, purveyor and client of these guys in D.C. It's no secret, you know, that Lindsey has this, you know, double life. There's nothing wrong with being gay, but when you run on a... conservative Christian thing in a Bible Belt state, like your own former governor and now vice president, you know, it's it's anathema. It's death to your political career. I don't think there's anyone who doesn't think Mike Pence is gay. There's nothing wrong with being gay, but that dude's clearly not living his true self and his life. There's a lot of guys like that in the Republican Party, and they fear that. The flip side of that is they get to be rich, and they get to do all this stuff while Trump is president. They get to eviscerate all these agencies and let all these companies do whatever they want, poisoning, you know, the environment in their home states. And they get rich off of that. You know, Tom Cotton was bought by, you know, Charles Koch. You know, he got an eight million dollar, you know, payment from 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 Charles Koch. 
Charles Koch died last summer. His wife got a $48 billion tax cut from Tom Cotton. Mm. You see what I mean? So these guys are getting set up for life by playing along with Trump. And the, and the flip side of that is they know when Trump goes, they go. Because it's been so egregious. You know, they yeah. haven't called a madman out. If you watch the other day when he, when he uh, did that fiasco in front of the church. I mean, there's no human being who can look at what he did and not say, that's embarrassing for a U.S. president to hold up a Bible upside down and tear gas a bunch of people for a campaign commercial, for a photo op, right? Yeah. What uh, Casey Hunt in D.C. You know, sat in the Senate at the lunch break in the hallway and asked like 15 congressmen, what's your opinion? Or senators, rather, Republican mm-hmm. senators. They all were like, I didn't see it. I'm late for lunch. Didn't see it. Sorry. You know, they're cowards, and they know that, and they know they'll be unforgiven. They also fear Trump's tweets. You know, Lisa Murkowski did, you know, agree with Mattis' statement yesterday. And what did Trump do? At 8.30 at night, he's like, I'd pick anything with a pulse over her. In two years, I'm going to be in Alaska voting, you know, campaigning against her. How dare her? She mildly criticized him after voting his way for the last three and a half years. But that's how Trump is. He doesn't tolerate any dissension. He's an authoritarian you know, or want to be authoritarian. If you don't agree with him, you're out. You can't not only not agree, you got to be a lapdog like Mike Pence. You got to hop up and start being the first one clapping if you want the gig. The funny thing about that is Trump is loyal to nobody. He will screw each and every one of these guys in the end. That's what gets me. How do they not realize, you know, from John Kelly to Mattis, everyone who goes, you know, Rex Tillerson, there's a guy who had an exemplary career. He was admired on the world stage. He was the head of Exxon. You know what I mean? He yeah. was a smart dude, you know, with and a moral guy, you know? Like and and his his he'll never escape that. Trump doesn't wash off. You know what I mean? You don't get that stink out of you. You know, I did a million shows. You know, I did really A-list stuff. I worked with Michael Jackson, Madonna, like Super Bowls, you name it. It'll be on my, you know, it'll it'll follow me forever that I worked for Trump. And the only reason I spoke out about it was because I knew how dangerous he was. And I think people were like, oh, this is just politics as usual. No, it's not. He's not a Republican. He's into being Trump. When I worked for him, he was a Democrat. He was a registered Democrat from 2002 to 2008. Yep. He switched when Obama got elected because he's a racist. I mean, he would use the N-word all the time. That's the other thing. He's like, he's got like Tourette's. You know, I, he says it out loud where most people, white people are like, bro, you don't talk like that. He does. He's like old school New York racist. This is a personal question for me because I have cerebral palsy and I've been involved with media. How does he feel about people with disabilities? Did you did you encounter anything with that? Yeah. How does he feel about it? Yeah. How does he feel about them? Well, he's an ableist, you know, and I think it's wonderful that, you know, you're doing that. I've very loved, you know, family member has cerebral palsy. I got to work on a lot of that stuff, like in my live career, Mm -hmm. uh, in live television career, I got to do a lot of stuff with access. Do you know what I mean? And and making sure people got access to the field at the Super Bowl and all kinds of stuff. Sure. So, so, um, and it doesn't take that much effort to just be aware, you know, my, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Like to make it all inclusive, any kind of event, whenever it's not, it drives me nuts. But I'll give you an example of that. When Trump Tower was being built, 
the original, you know, his eponymous building on uh, at 57th and 56th and 5th. Mm-hmm. When they were building it, he got in the elevator, right? These gold cheap elevators. And he was like inspecting it with the contractor. And he goes, what are these bumps? What are these bumps here on the numbers? Why are all these bumps next to the numbers? Braille. And the, right. And yeah. the contractor was shocked. And they're like, Braille, that's so, you know, so, 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 you know, blind people can read and know what floor they're going to. And he turns to him and he goes, blind people won't be living in this building. <laughs> that, that doesn't shock me. And it just shows how ignorant he is to, uh, to our society. So Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Knowing, the, knowing Trump the way that you do, there's an election coming up in 2020. What are the next steps in his plan and how critical is it for him to leave office? And if he does... I don't know if he'll leave. No, I really don't. I'm not sure if he will. Well, you're absolutely right, Jimmy. The guy I know will not leave office. First of all, he knows he's probably going to go to jail or criminal trial. I don't think they'll throw an ex-president in jail. But Southern District of New York has a massive case against him. He knows that. He won't leave office. The guy I know will not leave office. That's why he's building a perimeter around the White House as we speak. He expanded it twice over the last two nights. It now includes the ellipse. I used to live in D.C. I worked on Capitol Hill as a young man. I was a bike messenger. I rode all over D.C. The amount of – and back in my day, you could deliver to the White House, by the way. You know, you would literally drop off packages as a guardhouse at the East Wing, and you would ride up on your bike and hand the packages to, like, the security guard, or somebody would come out from the White West Wing and grab it from you. Like, mm. that's, when my day I would work in Capitol Hill, you would walk into all these offices, like you would walk into, you know, you know, Paul Simon's office. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, you'd walk into Lloyd Benson's office. Like, it was, this was from 1989 to, into the early 90s. D.C.'s obviously changed with security. You can't drive in front of the White House anymore. But Trump's, my point being, Trump's putting a perimeter all the way down to the ellipse, a big, huge gate. And he's basically building himself a palace. You know, he's putting, it's supposed to be the people's house. The whole point of the White House is that we don't have kings in this country. You know, our leader is going to live in a normal house just like you do. And you're going to have access to it. It's your house. You know, the olden days, the, the inaugurations, the parties, the balls were in the White House. You know, he would get sworn in on Capitol Hill and then everybody would go to the White House to have drinks, you know? Yeah. That's the point. And it's an important, you know, it's important that you preserve that sort of access. Because when you get a guy walled in behind guards with his own force, you know, because now he's got, we got troops in D.C. that are not labeled. They're not, I'm in National Guard, I'm in Army. They're not saying who they work for. They're saying, I'm in DOG or DOJ, you know, I'm in the prison bureau. Like, they're being very coy about who they protect. That's a private army. You know, that's Eric Prince territory, you know, the founder of Blackwater, Betsy DeVos's brother. You know, that's like, I'm building my own army, and I'm walling myself into my own palace. You know, and I have my own podcast, you know, and, uh, or I'm a co-host of a podcast, and we have a lot of people way smarter than us on the podcast you know we're just a couple of you know lunkhead comedians from new york you know but we get rick wilson on there we get james carville you know we had the mooch on this past week you know we had jennifer cohn an election security expert none of these people think he will leave voluntarily and he won't because as i said earlier it's ego death for him for him to wake up and say i lost 
you know, but I wish the next guy the best of luck. You know, I look forward to seeing you at your inauguration. Right. That ain't Trump. He's going to say fake news. They cheated. They lied. You know, that's why he's trying to do all the mail-in ballot, you know, and destroy the post office and everything like that now. So a long-winded answer, but no, he ain't leaving voluntarily. And he'll, you know, this week they changed on his website. They said, you know, they sent out an email yesterday. They changed the MAGA hats to camouflage. So they're not red anymore. They're camouflage. And they sent out an email that said, join Trump's army. You know, defend Trump against the terrorist Antifa thugs that are protesting. He'll sick those people on his fellow Americans to save face. If he loses an election, he's going to be like, these guys stole it from you. Get in your big Ford F-150 now. You know what I mean? Grab your AR-15s and protect America from the tyrants that want to come and, you know, tyrants that want to come and eat your babies and force socialism on you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He uses fear tactics and he preys on ignorant people that are itching to get involved in a holy war. You know what I mean? You live in Indiana. You know these kind of beard bros that are sitting around with their guns and their military, like, fetishes. It's cosplay. You know, we saw those guys showing up at the state house in Michigan, you know, with guns, you know, demanding they get be allowed to get a fucking haircut. Sorry for cursing. You know what I mean? In the midst of a pandemic where nurses were dying to try to save your ass. You know what I mean? Without enough supplies. So... You know, I always tell people this. Those MAGA rallies are not just for his ego, and they're not just to raise awareness for his campaign or money. He's building an army. You know, he's building an indoctrinated people into only believe me. Don't believe your eyes and ears. Just like they're telling people now, we didn't tear gas anybody on Monday. Yeah, you did. We saw it on TV. We saw the tear gas. You know what I mean? Well, he said uh, in one press conference, what you're seeing isn't happening. And all of this is built on what seems like a severe lack of self-confidence, both him and his followers. A hundred percent, because that's what he preys on. You know, he's a deeply inferior, insecure guy. He's known that since he was a kid and getting laughed at for not being able to read. There's no shame in being dyslexic, you know? Mm -hmm. You treat it, but... He had a father who wouldn't admit the, the, the issue. You know, he comes from a very stern, messed up background. He was a violent kid. He would throw rocks at the neighbor's baby. Like, he was just a bully in his neighborhood in Queens. So they sent him to basically reform school, you know, this fake military academy up near where I live in upstate New York. I'm, I live in New York City, but we're hiding out in the country right now. But, uh... So he's, he's known he's never measured up, and you can look this up. Your viewers can look, listeners can look it up. He would lie about, like, I was such a good pitcher, the major leagues were drafting me when I graduated high school. Mm. I hit it out of the park when, as a hitter. No, you didn't. There was no park. It's a high school ball field, you know, in Rockland County. But, like, that's his, I'm not good enough, so I'm just going to lie about how good I am. You know, his press conference today, he was just like, no one's ever seen anything like what I've done. I've built the greatest economy. You know, he says all this BS and he plays on people's ignorance and fear, you know. And the sad thing is there's a good reason for a lot of people to feel left out in this economy, in this world. I'm not I'm not unhip to that. I toured with rock bands, too. You know, I toured across the country with Crosby, Stills and Nash, Jackson Brown. Bruce Springsteen, rolling all these people, Rolling Stones. Like, I saw people after the crash at 08, and they didn't get back on their feet, and they're still not back on their feet. 
you know? That's not because of the Democrats. That's not because of socialism or some kind of, like, enemy. That's because the 1% of this country owns most of the wealth, you know? And they've shipped those factories offshore. You know what I mean? They're reporting to their shareholders over their workers. They're not paying taxes, you know? Uh, Amazon made, like, $340 billion during the quarantine. Unbelievable. They they paid zero in income tax last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. You and I paid more in taxes last year than Jeff Bezos, the world's first trillionaire. So I, that's what's screwing them up. It's a system. And my point being, Trump isn't for the working man. He's for those one percenters. His tax cut wasn't benefiting middle America. It was benefiting dudes who made millions of billions of dollars. And they know that and he knows that. But the scam is I'll go out in the heartland and I'll wave a flag around and I'll say I love our great military. No, you don't. You you dodged a draft five times and sent somebody else's kid to die in the Vietnam War so you could get high in the back of your dad's limousine and pretend you were a big developer. You know what I mean? When his own son, Don Jr., threatened to join the military, Trump threatened to disown him for doing that. It was beneath the Trump man to serve. Trump's grandfather got kicked out of Germany for failing to serve in the Bavarian army. Mm-hmm. You know, sir, conscription was mandatory back then in Germany, and, and Trump's grandfather left, refused to, to serve, and then he tried to go back to Germany, and they said, no, you're banned from here. You're a coward. You know, Trump's father made his fortune, Fred Trump, off of FHA loans that were part of the New Deal. So after World War II, the federal government gave no-interest loans to developers to build housing for GIs. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that's called? That's called socialism. That's democratic socialism. We're going to use the government's money to build you houses so you have a cheap place to live. You know, And then we're going to build factories for you to work in. Or we're going to build roads all over the country. You know, Eisenhower, you know. We're going to do things to make sure everybody comes up. Now that we've won this war, we're going to lift all boats together. Do you know what I'm saying? And look what it did. It gave us the most booming economy in the world in the 50s and 60s and stuff, right? Yep, 100%. So so Trump benefited from the socialism. But when his dad got all those loans and built all these, you know, housing everywhere, he not only discriminated against, you know, wouldn't let blacks live there and stuff, he cheated on his income taxes. The New York Times did a great piece on this last year. He started tax scams way back when, in the 40s and 50s and 60s, you know? So he not only took from the government, he didn't give anything back. And that's what Trump does. That's why he doesn't ever want you to see his taxes, because he doesn't pay taxes. Do you think we ever will see his taxes? No, I don't. But I'm not the final arbiter on that, you know? But Mnuchin, you know, Secretary of the Treasury moved Trump's taxes onto an individual server and limited the access to the people that actually had them to very few. So you won't see it from our government. Obviously, Deutsche Banks has them. Mazers has them. Those are the cases that are before the Supreme Court now. I think they bought Brett Kavanaugh so you don't see the taxes. I think that goes into Justice Kennedy, Justice Kennedy's son who worked at Deutsche Bank, who is well aware of these, you know, these Trump's tax returns and what they mean. Trump knows it's game over. You see his taxes, he's gone. You know, and, and the main thing on there, you know, there may be evidence that he got all his income and where did it come from? There's your Russian oligarch money laundering, you know, mm-hmm. when you're selling a building for 70, you know, he sold a house in Palm Beach that he bought for like $3 million for $75 million or something ridiculous, you know? Yeah. The house wasn't worth that. So that's money laundering. But 
the main thing you'll see on is taxes. And it's very easy for a New York business, you know, real estate developer to not pay income tax because you can just write off losses. You can just say you didn't make any money that year and you don't have to pay taxes. You could be worth $100 million and not pay taxes. It's very easy to do, especially in New York City real estate. Trump would write off other people's losses. So he wouldn't just claim his own losses. He would claim other people's, and he would claim a star income tax reduction, which is a New York City tax that means if you pay, if you make less than $500,000, you take this star deduction, you know, and it's mm. money that goes to the school system and stuff. So, and Trump took that, as a matter of public record, he took that deduction, got called on it, and then took it again after, like, the heat went away. You know, he'd been taking it for years. Point being, he doesn't pay income taxes and hasn't probably since the late 70s. And I think more than anything, that's what they're trying to hide. Because people are going to be like, wait, this guy doesn't pay taxes? You know, mm-hmm. He did a voluntary payment. The one thing that was released that Rachel Maddow got about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. where he like sort of voluntarily showed some income and Melania did, I think they filed jointly. He, I think he probably leaked that himself because it was the one time that he did actually pay some taxes. So he was trying to put a good foot forward, so to speak. But uh, it's up to the Supreme Court. It, that, that's the question of our, of our age at this point. you know. Last question about Trump before I want to talk about your experience in Indianapolis with the Super Bowl as well, if you have some time. I um, love it. Uh, last question about Trump. Why hasn't more stuff leaked about Trump and what he, who he actually is? Well, because of NDAs, you know, it's a couple of reasons. This stuff was no secret in New York forever. Everyone from, you know, big real estate developers to guys that worked in nightclubs to models, you know, to cops. You know, one of the first times I heard about Trump's behavior was from a New York City cop who was like, I used to be on his patrol. We would go out to nightclubs every night, do, would do coke all night, hits on models. He's a total poon hound. You know, like it was no secret who he was. So there's two factors. You know, people like me who worked on with, worked with him in television had very extensive NDAs, 24-page NDAs. Mark Burnett would sue anybody who spoke out. I spoke out because it's bigger than me, you know? My colleagues don't want to lose their careers. It's mm-hmm. bad form to speak out. You know, I, as I said, I worked with a lot of famous people. I don't I didn't talk about anybody else. We don't talk about what we see. Discretion is the rule of the game in in television, you know, when talent but so people don't want to lose their careers and they know that Trump will get away with it anyway. If you live in New York City, you know that Trump has never been count- held accountable in his life, you know, and nobody really thinks he's going to be held accountable now. He got impeached and got away with it. Do you know what I'm saying? He got the whole Senate to, like, vindicate him in just back in February. You know, imagine if they had gone the other way and actually, like, convicted him. Yeah. You probably wouldn't have 100,000 people dead right now. You'd have some people dead, but you, would have, you wouldn't have a government actively pretending it doesn't exist anymore because it's bad for his economic numbers, you know? So people don't speak out for a variety of reasons. They also fear him. They know his mob ties, you know? They know he goes after people hard. You know, he's, he litigates, you know? What, what about? But I wish more people would. I wish. The, yeah, I'll tell. Uh, this last thing I'll say. Sure. When this is all over, they're all going to be speaking out. Your head will be spinning by how many books come out. Yup, I saw him snorting Adderall in the private residence. Yup, I saw him grabbing Kalamek and his ass. You know, whatever it is, you're going to hear about it when it's safe to do so. When it's not safe, you don't hear too many people talking. 
one more follow-up to that because it's just so important that we we fit this in. What's the connection between David Pecker, the National Enquirer, and Trump as far as what he knows? they're still working together. They're still... Uh, it just came out this week that Kushner was working with Packer to try to get him to investigate some Biden stuff, some Hunter Biden stuff. Okay. But that's a lifelong relationship. But they've been friends for you know twenty, thirty years. And Packer's role was basically to catch and kill. This Trump was, a, as I said, a known philanderer. He got a maid pregnant once. Like he would have abortions. You know, he would uh, rape people, basically assault people. So they would go and pay these people off. You know. Yeah. But sometimes these people would be like, I'm going to talk to the press. You know, you can't buy me, you know. So then Pecker would step in and be like, I'll pay you $500,000 for the story of how Trump got you pregnant. You know, when you were a teen contestant on Miss USA or whatever it is. I'm making that one up, you know, but I'm using it as an example, you know. Yeah. So he would take that case or Karen McDougal. I think he caught and killed that. So he would pay that person, have lawyers make that person sign a contract, give them $500,000 and then never run the story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you own the story, nobody else can run it. So that was essentially, you know, it was like a, it was like a triumvirate, you know, it was Michael Cohen who made these payments directly or Michael Cohen, David Pecker and Trump. But basically it was a fixer. It was a cleanup operation, you know? And a lot of that money was sent through shell companies, which Cohen set up. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And Cohen, you know, it, the, Alan Weisselberg was Trump's, you know, Trump organization accountant. That's the guy who knows where the bodies are buried. You know, I think that guy was, you haven't heard about him in the news. I think he's been cooperating with the SDNY. So just on that alone, Trump knows he's, it's game over if he ever leaves office, you know. And that's why he's got Bill Barr on his side. You know, people should be terrified. You know, I'm not... I don't want to insult your listeners or people in Indiana. I love Indiana. It's a great state. I've got tons of friends from there. You know, I would love it. I love America. I love this country. What I want people to know is you're getting scammed. This guy's a con man. He's trying to say the law and the rule doesn't apply to him. And he's going to get his own attorneys general and he's going to get his own, you know, army, you know, and you ain't going to say anything about it. You know, that's not America. Mm -hmm. That's not who we are. You know, tell me about your experience in Indianapolis. What, What went on there? Man, I love Indianapolis. I mean, I go through there a lot with touring bands. I think it was the Conrad Hotel downtown. You know where the Weber Grill restaurant is? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I would always stay in that hotel. Um, so I go through there with bands all the time. And uh, I went through there with, you know, the Super Bowl. One of the best times is I was there with Kenny Wayne Shepard and Stephen Stills, who were both friends with Jim Irsay. You know, we had a day off before a concert. And uh, the Colts were playing, and they were like, hey, Jim's going to, you know, bring us to his, we'll let us sit in his suite tomorrow for the game, you know. And I've been to Super Bowls. You know, I've probably been to 10 Super Bowls at this point, right? And I uh, saw the Colts win. I think they won down in Miami when Prince played, right? Yeah. I think that was uh, Manning's first, Peyton's first Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, like, one, you know, the Conrad's a really nice hotel, you know. So, like, everybody meet in the lobby at 11 a.m. or whatever it was. You know, we go down in the lobby, this van pulls up. You know, we all hop in it, and it takes us into the stadium, Lucas Oil Stadium, down into the basement, like right next to like a special elevator, you know? Get out of the van, hop in that elevator, next thing you know, you're in Jim Mercy's suite. Yeah, yep. You know, and I've been in all the suites and all that, but there was something really cool about going with an owner. And I, I love Jim Mercy. He collects guitars. I'm a big guitar collector. Um, he's a good friend of Stephen Stills. 
I did the Super Bowl there. It wasn't my favorite Super Bowl because it was so damn cold. If you remember that week, you know, they set up that <laughs> thing downtown, like the NFL experience was all under tents and stuff, you know? Yep, yep. And it was just so brutally cold. And there wasn't really enough hotel rooms. You know, the players were staying. I think there's a JW Marriott or something right there, too. Yeah, um, yeah. By the stadium. But there wasn't, it didn't have the infrastructure. As wonderful a town as Indianapolis is and as, as hospitable as all those people are, and I'm glad you guys got to host it, it wasn't the easiest Super Bowl. Like, my hotel was way out, uh, you know, felt like it was in Evanston or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and it was a cold week. But, it, you know, it's always fun being in Indianapolis. Well, I can vouch that uh, relative to the weather that we're used to, that was warm for February. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, uh, I, the last one I did was in Minnesota. So I guess I should hold my tongue because it was 17 below in, Minnesota, in Minneapolis. That was insane. Uh, so, Noel, where where can people follow you on Twitter uh, or on social media? And uh, what, what are you involved with right now? Where people well, can hear right you. on uh, now I'm at uh, on social media. They can follow me at at Kassler Noel, C-A-S-L-E-R-N-O-E-L, Noel Kassler Comedy. If you type that onto Twitter, you can see me. And uh, you can watch the Stuttering John podcast. That's live on YouTube. Um, that's with John Melendez from The Tonight Show and Howard Stern. We, uh, we air Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 p.m. on the East Coast. And that's about it. You know, I'm basically laying low. All the comedy clubs are shut down. New York City's shut down. I'm, I'm like everybody else. I'm trying to flatten the curve and stay home. Um, so I speak out from time to time. And I, and I only, I don't do a lot of other people's podcasts, but I, I'm a fan of yours, Jimmy. I was looking on your Twitter, and I, I like what you stand for. I know you're a football fan. I know you're bummed that we, we are we going to have football this year, Jimmy? I I personally wouldn't do it just because I think it would become a political issue if these teams are getting tested and the common citizen can't get a test. I could see that being a major issue. Um, and I, I actually haven't been in media for since last February. I was a producer for CBS Sports 1430 here in town um, and just haven't found an opportunity because my dad recently passed away in September and there's just things more important than a career right now. But I'm, I'm really happy I had a chance to talk with you today. Thank you so much. I'm sorry about the loss of your father. You know, I've seen his picture on your Twitter, and you can just tell he was a good man by that picture, you know? Yeah. And uh, love doesn't leave us, you know what I'm saying? So you're one of the lucky ones, uh, you know, to have such a great relationship with your father, you know, and I, I know how hard that is, but, you know, he's obviously always with you. and Definitely got to be proud of you, right? Oh, I yeah. Mean, yeah. And that's what it's all about. It's not about sports. It's not, you know, sports are a metaphor for life. You know, they're to celebrate the, the, the finer points in, in human in humanity. You know, that's why we come together to watch a football game. We're trying to watch people, well, we're trying to watch people get tackled. <laughs> but yeah. we also want to see people do their best. And right now we're at a point in this country where it's, we're all being called upon to level the playing field so all of us get a fair shot at using our talents. Yeah, I mean, I think sports is actually one of the most conservative institutions in our country, and it, it leads to bringing people together, ironically. But um, if football does come back and, and the Colts play, you're always welcome with me. So Thank I, you, brother. I'd love to, love to catch a game with you, man. We'll, 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 I'll, I'll get in touch with Ursay. We'll try to go uh, sit in his, his suite. 100%, man. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jimmy. Have a great weekend, brother.